0: Let's imagine that you have some friends who have come to visit you. Let's, we gotta pick a place, so I'm just gonna pick one randomly. Let's say that from Dallas. You have some friends from Dallas who come to stay with you for a few days. And when they arrive, they tell you that their neighbors in Dallas told them about a particular restaurant in Kansas City that they have got to eat at. And their neighbors just raved about how great it was, how great the food was, how great the service was, how great just the whole atmosphere. And they said, whatever you do, as soon as you get here, make reservations, get into that restaurant. And then they tell you the name of the restaurant. And your question back to your friends is, so how long ago did your neighbors eat at that restaurant? And they say something, you know, maybe it was, oh, it was eight years ago or so they said, but they said it was just fantastic. And, and you say to them, eight years ago, that was probably about the last time that restaurant was good. In fact, we don't need to worry about making a reservation. It'll be really easy to get in there. That is an issue of reputation versus reality. Reputation versus reality. Anybody ever had that happen with a restaurant? Yeah, me too. Our family's been it's like it happens with restaurants. It happens with teams it happens with sports teams sometimes right when 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 people think arrowhead home field for the chiefs a place to be feared right can i tell you that since 2008 so 10 years the chiefs at home are 41 and 41. That's 23rd in the NFL. However, since 2015, they are 17 and 8. That's seventh in the NFL. I just read it on your face. I'm like, I can't leave them there today, right? (laughs) They, They will leave here hopeless. And my job is to make sure you've got you've got some hope. So it's better. It's better than 15. But but isn't it there are times that reputation outlives reality. It's unfortunate when it happens in restaurants. It is disappointing when it happens to sports teams. But it is tragic when it happens to a church. When reputation outlives reality. We are in a study series called Seven because we are studying seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches in Asia Minor. It was written a long time ago, but there's just so much powerful stuff that he's saying to them, that he's saying to us. Today, we have come to the church at Sardis at Sardis and so here's our map we've been following every week I told you those are the seven churches it's kind of like a a horseshoe sort of um that was the ancient Roman mail route but this time it's Jesus who's writing the letters and it's Jesus who's saying make sure you get it to them so every week we go to the mailbox just to remind you these really were letters that were written and these are real churches to to whom they were written and um Today, we come to the church at Sardis, which is found in Revelation chapter 3, and this is how it starts. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Let's pause there for a minute, because this is Revelation. Revelation. Right? And sometimes when you're reading the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism. And so all of a sudden here we start this letter and, and we've got some sevens going on here. And so the question is, okay, what, what are the seven spirits of God? And the answer to that is nobody is absolutely 100% sure. They're not. Um, some people believe that those seven spirits of, of, of God are, are referring to maybe seven angelic type beings like we read about the seraphim and we read about the cherubim in, in scripture, maybe some t- sort of angelic being. We know that there are lots of them that God has created. Or it really could simply be referring to God's spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, which is what I tend to believe is being referenced here. The, the number seven was often the, the, the word for perfection. It was the symbol for complete There's a place in Isaiah chapter 11 where when the Spirit is talked about, it talks about him being the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of wisdom and the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit of, and and it gives seven descriptions of the Spirit. I think that might be connected to what's being said here. I'm going to say I think we're talking about the Spirit of God. And then the seven stars, we don't have to guess. Because we know from Revelation chapter 1, the seven stars were the seven messengers or the seven pastors of the seven churches. And what Jesus is saying is, I hold them in my hand. Who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. Let's keep reading. I know your deeds. You have a, what's the word? Reputation. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Woo! In other words, it it sounds like at the church at Sardis, we've got a reputation versus reality issue going on. They have a reputation for being one thing, but the reality is that they are something different. There is um, a man in the basketball world by the name of John Wooden who um, has quite a reputation. A um, long time ago, John Wooden was the um, incredibly successful basketball coach for. Um, UCLA Bruins, he won 10 national championships in the span of about 12 years. That's impressive. But John Wooden was also beloved because of who he was. And he was intentional about it. I want you to hear this quote. This is what he said. I love this. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Character is what you really are reputation is what people say you are reputation is often based on character but not always i love that because here's what john wooden knows he knows that sometimes reputation outlives reality sometimes they are not the same and and i'm telling you when it happens in a church we have this mission of declaring the greatness of god when it happens in a church it is it is tragic now we could spend all our time today talking about dead churches because there are lots of them but we're not. Whew. Instead, I'm going to ask a different question. And this question goes like this. How many of us might say But Jeff, that's that's kind of how I feel. That's kind of how I feel. Like something started to die a long time ago. Something started to die a long time ago and things have just unfolded and and then suddenly you wake up and realize you you have a faith that's not the kind of faith you want. It's not a faith worth having. I'm saying what we're talking about today, it matters. It matters. And so I I want us to understand what what this letter is. And I think if we look a little more at Sardis, it'll help us understand how this can happen. Sardis um, was a part of a very famous road at one time. A famous road called the Persian royal road. This is it. It started over in Susa, which was the capital of Persia, and it ran an entire 1,700 miles. And where does it end? Sardis. It was the other end of the royal road. There was sort of a Pony Express type system that would be able to to get stuff back and forth that entire 1,700 miles in about seven days, which was remarkable in that day. If you've ever seen the movie 300, um, the Persians are attacking the Greeks. Sardis was the staging area from which that took place. In other words, I just want you to begin to realize that Sardis in her day was a happening place. It was a happening place. Um, something else that I think is also just significant about, about Sardis is, um, I can show you this just if, if, if you got a quarter, and actually I know it's kind of hard to see, so I think we'll, we'll just give you one here. When you look on the quarter, right down near the bottom of Washington's ponytail, which I like saying, I don't know, that's just, it's not one of those things you think about every day, Washington's ponytail. All right, down, down near the bottom of Washington's ponytail, there's a letter, and what does, what does that letter tell you? It'll be different letters on different quarters. What does it tell you? Anybody know? Where it was minted, yeah. Did you know that the very first place in the world that coins were minted was Sardis? Very first place. I'm telling you, in her day, Sardis was a happening place. There was a very famous gymnasium in Sardis. Uh, This is sort of what's left of it. The the whole complex, the whole building covered about five and a half acres. There were these very famous baths there. They were were hot, they were warm, they were cold, which is still a big deal in some places in the world, honestly. It's kind of a, a, a big, there was an education process that went with it, but the main focus was athletics. It was all about strength. And, and athletic development. Um, this is the way I would describe it. When, when I sometimes pick my son up from school and he gets into the car and, and I say, hey Nick, how was your day? And he says it was great. Then when I say, tell me why it's great, I know what he's going to tell me. His answer is going to be, because we had three recesses today. Now he counts recesses as if you get there early before school starts, you get to play on the playground. That's a recess. And then there's actually a recess, and then sometimes when they get their stuff done early enough, they get to go back outside before it's all over, and that's three recesses. And any day you have three recesses is a great, fantastic day. Well, I'm telling you, in Sardis, that was a little more of how things worked. Because in our school system, we think about classes, 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 and then you throw in a recess. In Sardis, it was recess, recess, but it wasn't like play recess. It was work recess. It was, it was about athletic development, but they would also throw in then the mathematics. I mean, and I don't mean simple. I mean, it, w- it would be calculus. It would be, it would be challenging, but it would be thrown into that sequence of events. It was a very famous gymnasium. Sardis was a happening place. But also in Sardis was the temple of Artemis. Temple of Artemis. Now, there were various temples of Artemis around the world, but um, Artemis was the the god of fertility. And so whether you wanted, uh, you know, uh, grapes or figs or wheat or whatever the crop would be, um, or if you wanted a baby. It's like uh, we're trying to have a baby. You would go to the temple of Artemis and you would make sacrifices in order to pay off the gods to get what you want. That's what happens in Sardis. By the way, that building, that that temple was never finished. Most people believe if it had been, it would have become one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They just didn't finish it. But Sardis was a happening place. A couple more, I can also tell you that the largest ruins of a Jewish synagogue is not in Israel, it's in Sardis. The largest ruins of, of a Jewish synagogue. There was a large Jewish population that, that lived in Sardis. They had been brought there by the Persians. This is the, this is the synagogue on this side, and they actually shared a wall with the gymnasium. What it meant was Sardis was ethnically or ethnically mixed. All right? Lot, lots of people groups there. It was a happening place. One more. Sardis also had an Acropolis. And we've talked about this multiple times, various cities. Remember, Acropolis is the high mountain or, or, or hill outside the city. It's the place that when an enemy comes, you run to the Acropolis. You run to the high place. And at Sardis, you could deal with a siege for years. Years you could live there. Sardis had been a happening place. So let me give you the reality, Sardis had been an amazing city, but at this point when these letters are being written, Sardis is beginning to be eclipsed by other cities. Things like not finishing that temple. Sardis, it's a great city, but it's beginning to be sort of overshadowed by some of the other cities that are continuing to progress all around it. And so when Jesus writes these letters, they, they know this is, this is what's going on in their city. And Jesus says the same thing is happening to the church. The church in Sardis, the people who supposedly are Jesus followers... They at one time apparently had a great reputation, but now they're just living off of reputation. Something started to die along the way. And I'm reminding you today, that happens in churches because it happens in people. That happens to churches because it happens to individuals. What what causes that? What, What is it that... Something begins to die. Well, maybe it's a disappointment. Maybe it's a disappointment in your life. Maybe maybe you had this picture of how you thought that life was go, and so you, you, you thought this is how marriage will go, and this is how your career will go, and this is how kids, this is how all this will work out, but something happened that left you saying, God, you weren't supposed to let that happen. Something begins to die. Maybe it's a busyness that goes with that, you turn into the, the gerbil on the wheel and when the pain starts you just have to keep moving, it's what covers the pain, it, what, it's what masks the hurt, but all the while you're running, something inside is dying along the way. Maybe it was the number of times that you said, later, to God. God said, I, I, I want you to forgive that person, and you said, maybe later. He said, I, I want you to serve in this particular, I want you to, you see these needs, I want you to take care of these needs, and you said, maybe later. He said, I, I want you to be generous with what I've given you. you. You can see it, you know this is my heart. I want you to be generous, I want you to let go, and you said, oh, this is just not a good time maybe later, and now later has arrived and you can't hear him anymore. And it's either because he stopped talking or your ears can't hear him. There's this chasm that occurs between reputation and reality when suddenly you wake up with a faith that has no oomph to it. There, it's not worth having. So the question is, how do we get back on track? What do we do when we find ourselves in such a moment? And thankfully, that's why Jesus writes the letter. And he answers the question. And this is where he starts. Revelation chapter three, verse two, two words, wake up. Well, that's a good place to start. He says, wake up. This this letter is to serve like an alarm clock for the church at Sardis. This is to be the alarm that goes off in their hearts and in their minds that that they they are awakened to what Jesus is saying. Now, I believe what Jesus is saying here is so significant to the city of Sardis period. When he said it, everybody knew what he was talking about. Do you remember when we were looking at the, when I took you on the little, little slideshow, the Acropolis was that high place. It was the mountain where they would run when an enemy came, they could close themselves in on top of that Acropolis and they were protected. Literally for years they could survive. Well, around 546, so this is long before this letter is written, 546 BC, the Persians invade the area of Sardis, and they lay siege. About two weeks in, the legend is, there was a soldier from Sardis who was patrolling the wall when in some sort of mishap, maybe he's looking over the wall, not exactly sure, but legend has it, his helmet falls off of his head, over the wall, bounces, begins to bounce down the, the hillside until it comes to rest on a path. That soldier proceeds to make his way down an exit that cannot be seen. It is hidden from below. He, he pops out on the, on the path, retrieves his helmet, goes back into that exit and back up to the wall. All that happened while down below, a Persian soldier was watching. And he suddenly said, now I know how we get in. And in the middle of the night, that Persian soldier climbed that hillside, went through the part of the wall, that he knew it was, ended up being unguarded, and he opened the gates from the inside, and Sardis fell while the city slept. Hmm. You talk about embarrassing. That's an embarrassing part of your story to tell, right? Well, let me add this to it. 300 years later, It happened again. Because 300 years later, again, the the legend is that there was another um, um, kingdom that moves into the area. They laid siege to the territory. Again, there is a soldier at the bottom who is watching, right, the walls. And he suddenly sees these vultures that are roosting on the wall. And being the smart soldier that he is, he's thinking, why aren't these vultures flying off? When the guard walks by, there must not be anybody guarding this wall because the vultures just stay there. And sure enough, in the middle of the night, he takes 15 guys with him. They go up that part of the wall, which is completely unguarded. They open the gates from the inside and Sardis fell while the city slept. It was their story. And so when Jesus says, wake up, everybody knew what was connected to those phrases. I think I just lost. I did. Time out. Happens. Everybody knew. What was connected to those words? Jesus turns to the church and he says, Church, it's time for you to wake up because you are leaving parts of your heart unguarded. Guard your heart. Wake up and guard. Your heart now, if we were really honest today and and we really felt like we had that kind of trust, and we could all admit, hey, this is when I ended up in some trouble. For most of us, we we ended in trouble when we did not guard our heart in a particular place, right? It, it was either a you know a, a flirtation thing, and you didn't guard your heart and and it, it just turned into this and it turned into this or or it was a bitterness thing and you didn't guard your heart and you knew right when you started to feel it you needed to do something about the bitterness you needed to deal with it but you refused and so you don't guard your heart and that bitterness just grows maybe it was an envy thing envy is why them and not me that's envy and when you think god has ripped you off you can justify just about anything But you don't guard your heart, and so it it turns, maybe it's greed, right? And, And all of a sudden, you will cross those ethical lines. And Jesus is saying, wake up. Wake up and guard your heart, because you are not invincible. No one is invincible. Wake up. Second thing he says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Again, I think there might be some parallel language to to what the city had had started and what at times wasn't finished. He says, but you got to strengthen what remains. Now, I think there's a little bit of good news in there because if you're going to strengthen what remains, that means the thing ain't totally dead. Something still has a heartbeat. Strengthen what remains. But if you wait, this is going to die. This is high alert. This is immediate action. My question to you this morning is, in your life, is there something that's about to die? And it's not supposed to. It's it's the married couple who says, Honestly I just don't remember the last time that we really just enjoyed being together. Listen to me, something's dying. Something is dying and it's not going to get better on its own. What do I need to do for my marriage to fall apart? absolutely nothing you do absolutely nothing and you will drift you got to wake up and you got to strengthen what remains. He's saying, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? You know that's what you feel. That's what it means. So what are you going to do about it? Maybe it means you gotta, you got to pick up the phone and you got to roll through your contacts and you got to look for that person that you believe to be most trustworthy in terms of theirs is a heart that you know is linked in to Jesus. You know that, that they are the kind of person you could just say, I'm in trouble. I'm dying here. He's like, strengthen what remains. Maybe you're struggling with depression, and as you fight it, you fight it, you end up immersing your mind and your life in other things, right? Everything from video games to novels to you name it. People just immerse their life in it, and all the while, the sign is something's dying. What are you gonna do? You gotta find someone To say, help me, I'm dying here. Strengthen what remains. And then the third thing he says, for me, is the most surprising. In verse 3, what's the first word? Remember. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Remember. Now, for me, that's kind of unexpected. He says, I want you to remember what you've already received, remember what you've already heard. Wouldn't you agree that most people expect change to require learning something new? Most everybody I know, that's how they treat it. If something's going wrong, they got to find something new. There's got to be some new way, there's got to be some new steps, there's got to be some new something that will change this And lots of times it's not about finding something new at all, what you need, you actually heard a long time ago. You just haven't done it. What had they already received? What had the church at Sardis already received? Well, here's what they knew. There was a temple in their town that said, if you want things from the gods, you go to this temple and you make sacrifices and you try to pay the gods off to get what you need. But now they have come to know Jesus and found him to be the God who paid everything off for them. How cool is that? How cool is that to know that you just met the God who doesn't keep calling you to pay off the debts, but He paid off the debt. That's who they now know in Jesus. That's what they have received. It's called grace. You don't earn it. You don't achieve it. You only receive it. And he's saying, don't forget what you've received. Remember what you've gotten. What what have you forgotten? You've forgotten that the laws can't save you. You've forgotten that the rules can't rescue you. Only Jesus can save. Remember, he says, Remember, it is his spirit inside of you that changes you from the inside out. Remember, it is God who gives you love so that you will love. And he gives you mercy so that you will show mercy. He gives you grace so that you will pour out grace. He gives you forgiveness so that you will forgive others. He's saying you've forgotten. You've got to remember what you've already seen. Spiritual vitality for the church at Sardis was not about learning something new, it was about remembering what they already knew. Can I tell you? This is a secret. I shouldn't tell you this. But if I'm doing my job right, I'm repeating myself a lot. If I'm doing my job right when I talk to you on a regular basis, I'm repeating myself a lot. We try to frame it different ways, but those basic truths of God's grace and that we receive, and we forget it. We forget it. And so he says, let's go back to verse 3, therefore, remember what you have received and heard. And the next phrase is hold it fast. Hold it fast. We, we would translate that biblically, it means obey it. It means do it. It means put it into practice. You don't actually receive something that you're not actually doing. R- remember the story that Jesus told one day about the two houses? One was built on sand and one was built on rock. And when the storms came, the one that was built on sand, it, it crashed. And the one that was built on rock, it stood. Go back and read that story. Because both of the houses that he told, that he represented, both of them heard the word. But the one that was built on sand simply didn't do it. And the one that was built on rock did. We often paint the story like one of them knew God's word and one of them didn't know God's word. Nope, they both knew it. They both knew God's word, but the one whose house stood was, was the house that actually put it. There are no points for hearing truth that we do not practice. No points. Thought I'd bring this back for you today. Some of you are kind of having withdrawals. Just had, the, just had the NFL draft and I mean baseball is, is underway and basketball playoffs are going on and so I thought I'd bring the football back just to kind of keep the fire going. We, we know, we've all seen it, if you love football, if you watch the game at all, there have been those moments you're watching a game, um, I mean it's, it's a pretty simple concept, quarterback throws a ball, receivers do what? They catch it. They receive it. They receive it. That's the word. And yet you've seen those moments. You've seen those moments. The perfect play is called. Perfect play. I mean, they call the timeout. They get it right. Everything is, they guess right on the defense. Everything is perfect. Quarterback rolls out, throws the ball. Receivers wide open. And he drops the ball and you put your hands on your head. Depends on where you are, sometimes you put your hands over your mouth, Like I cannot believe. I got a question for you. How many weekends does that happen to you? Because you come here and with everything we got, we try to tell you about God's grace. And we toss, and you walk out those doors, and you drop it. I know, sometimes it's tough. Well, I don't know personally, but I've, I've heard that it's tough, that, you know, the first time you, right, you, you leave here and you go to get in the car and your wife rolls her eyes at you everything you just heard about grace actually actually it looks a little more like right (laughs) you come here and we tell you about generosity and we do our best man we don't make that stuff up we make sure that it's just coded in hey this is what God says this is what he wants for your heart if you choose not to this is where you're going and It just slips right through your fingers. I want you to hear me. There are no points, there are no points in this kingdom for just hearing. The points in this kingdom come when you hear it and you hold fast. We do not study scripture so that we can sit around and talk better about theology. We study scripture so that our lives will be lived in such a way that it reflects the greatness of our God. Hold on, or I promise you there is someone who is seeking to strip the ball from your heart. There's one more word. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Repent. Anybody recognize that seems to be a Similar familiar word in all these letters, repent. It means to change, it means to change, it means your behavior will change, it means your direction will change, but it starts with a mind that change. Uh, anybody figured out change requires change? Yeah. You, you know the old definition of insanity, right? It's when you just keep on doing the same thing but expect that something different will happen. No Change requires change. But listen, in Sardis, it was not hopeless. There was still opportunity for them. And I want you to hear, so, so is for us. But what if we don't? What if we don't wake up? What, what if we don't wake up? What, what if we don't, remember, what if we don't hold fast? What if, what if we don't? Verse 3 says, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Wow, kind of like soldiers breaching an unguarded wall in the middle of the night. Verse 4 Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. <laughs> that doesn't sound nice, does it? But they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so thus we return in Revelation. Now we've got robes of white and we've got books of life. It's like, what does that mean? Can I, can I just give you an observation on behalf of a guy who's, who's been doing this a long time? This is the parts of scripture we really like this is it. This is this is what we like. It's like robes of white and books of light. What does that mean? We love exploring images. We love exploring symbols. Hey, can we go back and talk about that seven spirits of God thing? You know the thing, Jeff, you said that nobody really knows. Can we go back and talk about all that? Can I tell you one of my observations is that we love to talk about what we do not fully understand instead of actually implementing what we do understand. We, we love to sit around and discuss the timeline of jesus return rather than share the good news with jesus of jesus with urgency because we know he is returning in other words let me translate we have fallen asleep we are often asleep and it's really easy here because we have a lot And we can search, we can research, we we got time to discuss and to question and our reputation is the United States of America, a Christian nation. But the reality, but don't miss, Jesus is calling us back. He says, wake up and come on. Remember who you are in Jesus, dressed in white. What a a cool image. I mean, that that whole dressed in white image, I I think is just so incredibly cool. The idea of being clothed in white, what's the imagery? Well, the imagery is Jesus is perfect. The the imagery is Jesus is sinless. And what the scripture tells us is when by his grace when we come to him, he clothes us in his righteousness. What what does it mean? It means I'm forgiven. That's what it means. It means I'm forgiven. It means when He looks at me, He doesn't see all the junk of my life. He sees Jesus' goodness. That, that is who He has made me to be. I am forgiven. No more guilt. I don't have to live with shame or regret. I don't have to hide even about the stuff of my past because He has clothed us in white. That is who you are. Wake up and leverage your life to share this good news of who Jesus is. And then there's a book. This is the book of life, by the way. I found it, right? Doesn't it look like it would be? It's like, it's gotta be a big book. We all hope that it's a really big book, right? Cause we wanna make sure, we wanna be in that book and we're afraid it's gonna take a really big one if, if we're gonna be apart. What's the whole book of life thing? Well, there's this imagery in the day in Sardis, they would keep kinda like what we would call birth records. And so when a person was born, their name would be written into the book of life, right? Here's a person been born, they are in the book of life. Well, when that person would die, you got to keep accurate records, they would blot their name out of the book. Jesus is saying to the church, hey, if you're with me, your name will never be blotted out of this book because death is not the end for you. You are mine forever. No more fear of death. Your eternity is secure. Wake up and leverage your life. What do you have to be afraid of? Leverage your life for the good news of Jesus. One more, and I'll quit. We go back to the coin. What I didn't tell you is not only were those coins the very first coins ever minted on the planet... But we also know that during the time in which these letters were written, there was one particular coin that had the image of Domitian on it, the the Roman emperor. And Domitian appointed that on that coin, there was to be seven stars. In other words, it was this lengthy description of how Domitian was declaring That he, he was God. And Jesus walks into Sardis and says, no. I am. And I hold you in my hand. And if you belong to Jesus that includes you what are you afraid of wake up and leverage your life for the good news of Jesus John chapter 10 Jesus said my sheep listen to my voice I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you have received. Live it and repent. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm grateful that um, what I imagine you know perfectly that in a room like this there are most likely hearts who would say that's me maybe something that began a long time ago maybe regarding a marriage that maybe It's centered around some bitterness, some unforgiveness, some envy, but God, a long time ago something began to die. And My prayer is today that you would awaken us, to awaken our heart, to awaken our soul. God help us to see today, we need to take immediate action to strengthen what remains God I'm asking I'm asking that there could be healing in this place I'm asking that you God would lift again God that that which is about to die you you would bring it back to life but it begins with us turning to you God will you will you make our hearts repent God will you call us to turn help us to to run to you God will you awaken awaken our soul again today. God, in, in these moments as, as, we, as we sing of your goodness and we reflect on the fact that you're calling us back, give us, give us faith now to fight for what needs to live. God, I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for the fact that you keep on doing it. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. As we stand together, we're going to sing. We'll be here on the side. Need some prayer today? We'd be honored. But let's sing it together. It is the truth, it is our prayer.